Greetings, everybody, and welcome to The Shakespearean Student. I should warn you, because I don't normally do rants on this uh, podcast, but I figured that because they, they get views and because uh, I have very passionate feelings about Disney movies, uh, you guys would be willing to indulge me. Um, I recently watched the movie Hocus Pocus 2. Um, it was enjoyable. It was fun. But I had my issues with it. Um, I don't agree with the critics that say that it's better than the original. If anything, I think it's symptomatic of the kind of safe corporate movie that Disney keeps churning out these days. Um, many critics have pointed out that Disney is putting more and more money into fewer and fewer projects, which means that they're unwilling to take risks. Almost all of their projects are with recognizable properties, sequels, spin-offs, comic book movies, beloved children's series, that kind of thing. And since uh, October is uh, the month of Halloween, I thought I'd compare and contrast this trend with two movies, Hocus Pocus 2 and Brave. Now, I picked these movies because Witchcrafter is involved, uh, which ties it into the whole um, October theme, but also I would argue that a lot of these, the, both these movies share tropes that are in common with Shakespeare's Macbeth. Um, go with me on this. In the case of Brave especially, we have a prince who is mentioned who goes to a witch and demands power and strength over uh, his fellow creatures. That power turns him literally into a beast, whereas in Shakespeare it's only metaphorically into a beast. Um, it is a cautionary tale about be careful what you wish for. The interesting thing, though, is that the Macbeth character is barely mentioned. He's only um, uh, alluded to at the beginning, which uh, the mother Eleanor refers to as a um, counterexample for what she wants for her daughter Merida. See, Merida is a headstrong young woman who wants uh, what's bet f uh, best for herself more than she wants what's best for her kingdom. And um, her mother, Eleanor, is trying to teach her how to be a good queen. So the Macbeth story is basically a bedtime story in order to teach Merida how to become diplomatic, how to put the needs of her kingdom first, and um, how to uh, not seek to change her own destiny. Whereas Hocus Pocus 2 starts in a similar way where we see the young Sanderson sisters living in 17th century patriarchal oppressive Salem, Massachusetts. Um, they are uh, vilified by the community. Uh, they are condemned as being ugly and unlovable and therefore of no value to the society, but they find their purpose when they meet a witch in the forest, and uh, that witch teaches them, um, hands them a spell book, teaches them how to become witches, and um, but also tells them about a spell that they absolutely should not use because it harnesses ultimate power and that power will corrupt it. So of course you know that before the movie is over, Winifred will summon that ultimate power and become as dangerous as Mordu was in Brave. Um, all three stories has a, uh, have as a theme that knowledge is power, but too much of 
any kind of power uh, will corrupt. These are good stories that uh, use magic as a uh, metaphor for hidden knowledge that can be used for good and for evil. You could argue that in both stories, the magic, the knowledge that the uh, uh, protagonists gain could be good if used properly. But the whole story is about how certain people use the magic improperly. And in um, all three stories, there is a theme of evil growing in isolation. Macbeth's tragedy is that when he became king and had to shoulder the burden of, uh, uh, of being a regicide and con uh, consorting with witches, he chose to keep to himself. He isolates himself. He refused to talk to anybody except for the witches. And this is one reason why his wife, Lady Macbeth, goes mad. By contrast, in these two stories, it is interesting that when these women confide in other women, they learn to control their powers and also to um, use them responsibly. Whereas Hocus Pocus 2 starts in a similar way where we see the young Sanderson sisters living in 17th century patriarchal oppressive Salem, Massachusetts. Um, they are uh, vilified by the community. Uh, they are condemned as being ugly and unlovable and therefore of no value to the society. But they find their purpose when they meet a witch in the forest. And uh, that witch teaches them, um, hands them a spell book, teaches them how to become witches, and um, but also tells them about a spell that they absolutely should not use because it harnesses ultimate power and that power will corrupt it. So of course you know that before the movie is over Winifred will summon that ultimate power and become as dangerous as Mordu was in Brave. Um, all three stories has a, uh, have as a theme that knowledge is power but too much of any kind of power uh, will corrupt. These are good stories that uh, use magic as a uh, metaphor for hidden knowledge that can be used for good and for evil. You could argue that in both stories, the magic, the knowledge that the uh, uh, protagonists gain could be good if used properly. But the whole story is about how certain people use the magic improperly. And in um, all three stories, there is a theme of evil growing in isolation. Macbeth's tragedy is that when he became king and had to shoulder the burden of, uh, uh, of being a regicide and con uh, consorting with witches, he chose to keep to himself. He isolates himself. He refused to talk to anybody except for the witches. And this is one reason why his wife, Lady Macbeth, goes mad. By contrast, in these two stories, it is interesting that when these women confide in other women, they learn to control their powers and also to um, use them responsibly. By contrast, when these women confide in other women, uh, Winifred and her sisters, or Merida and her mother, 
they learn to control that dangerous magic and use it for good. So, in a way, these stories are inversions of Macbeth. Macbeth is sort of a straightforward story that all secret, secret knowledge is bad, and it will only corrupt you and destroy you. These movies serve as a contrasting opinion, which is good because... Macbeth was written specifically for a king who was paranoid, misogynist, and was famous for persecuting witches. So this is uh, these contrasting stories I fully support. If they went far enough with them. My problem with all of these stories is that because Disney is too afraid to offend shareholders, conservatives, uh, Wiccans, or really anybody who um, who may or may not buy their toys afterwards, I feel that both these movies um, flirt with these themes of identity, of knowledge, of sisterhood, of, um, uh, of challenging the patriarchal establishment, but they never really do anything. They uh, hint at the, these uh, themes and ideas, but they never directly address them. They're like the fairies from Midsummer Night's Dream. They plant an idea in our heads, but then they uh, dart away as quickly as they can. So here I'm going to go into some of my problems with these, uh, uh, these stories. So, of course, spoiler alert. Starting with, um, with Brave, the first third of Brave is fantastic. We see a young woman who wants to change her fate, who is established as a superior archer who um, and fighter, um, who has uh, marvelous skills, who takes after her father because of her uh, warlike abilities and her, um, uh, 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 her skills as a hunter and a tracker and a horse rider. She's not cut out for the princess uh, gender role um, of looking pretty, uh, having a perfect posture, speaking diplomatically, um, and that sort of thing. Yet this is not framed as a bad thing either, because her mother, the queen, is perfectly suited to this kind of life. She manages to uh, obtain her own power. There's a wonderful scene where a group, a group of dignitaries uh, start fighting in the middle of their court, and the queen disarms them all with a look, and they all um, look sheepishly and apologize within seconds. She harnesses her, what um, people in the State Department call soft power, which is to say her skill with diplomacy, her grace, her intelligence, and um, her ability to... Uh, to um, compromise. Those abilities are what make her a great queen, and the film celebrates both her and her daughter for the first third of the movie. Um, this culminates in the excellent archery scene where Merida, having received three uh, requests for marriage from three Free suitors who, for varying ways, are not really uh, uh, desirable in and of themselves. Um, she decides to have an archery contest. The winner gets her hand, and she beats all three of them, um, and therefore declares that she does not have to marry anybody. 
It's a wonderful display of her skill, her determination, her self-possessiveness, but also her selfishness. Because immediately afterwards, she jokes saying, well, expect your declarations of war in the morning. Um, so Merida is a fantastic character, but she's also flawed because she is too selfish to realize that she's putting her own good ahead of the good of the kingdom. Her mother, by contrast, is thinking of the good of the kingdom, but not thinking enough of her daughter. We have an excellent conflict, and the original screenwriter um, wrote that she was inspired by her own relationships with her daughter as the model for Merida. And this comes uh, across very well in the first third of the story. Now, Brave has an infamous production history where the original writer and director was fired and replaced by a, um, by a man who um, quite possibly did not understand the source material. He downplayed the magic. They reworked the story a lot. It did not uh, originally please the uh, producers over at Disney. So we'll never know what the original story was supposed to be. But I would argue what we get is like two different movies. One is a excellent conflict between mother and daughter, um, which could have ended magnificently. And the other half of the movie is just a ripoff of the 1990s movie Brother Bear, where a selfish guy gets turned into a bear and learns that hunting uh, for animals is bad. Um, moreover, the Mordu story is is completely scrapped for the first um, two-thirds of the movie and only comes back when um, the bear conveniently shows up in the climax of the film. They are not built, it is not built uh, to any um, serious dramatic tension. It has nothing to do with the conflict between Merida and uh, her mother, and it's resolved so quickly I barely even remember what happened. So this movie has the inversions of the of uh, a Macbeth story going for it, but it is not pursued. Instead, we have the story of a, uh, a, a pretty princess with a uh, with a bow and arrow that you can buy your toys um, at, and your costumes at the local uh, Walmart, um, and we have a bear uh, that you can again buy at your local Walmart. But there are no uh, real tension, no real stakes to this story, and it's not pursued to a logical conclusion. We don't see why, at the end of the story, Merida and uh, her mother suddenly understand each other. What did being a bear accomplish to help um, uh, Eleanor's arc? What did it accomplish to, um, to solve uh, Merida's arc? Nothing. Well, to be fair, there's one thing. Um, not being able to talk, Merida for once has to actually speak to the lords herself and not resort to her, um, uh, uh, to her ability as a speaker. But I think this isn't enough. It was not a story that needed to be told by her turning into a bear. She could have just gotten sick and then uh, Merida could have talked for her. And this is where I would offer my suggestions for how I would fix this story. First of all, it would have made more if they had to do the bear plot, it would have made more sense for Merida to turn into a bear. She's already irascible. She's impulsive. Um, she wants to be out in nature. Turning her into a bear would have actually made sense. 
And then her mother would have to show real care and devote herself to bringing her daughter back to human form. That would have at least followed the themes uh, of the story and been a satisfying arc for Eleanor. Another possibility is to just throw out the stupid bear transformation anyway, which, again, was recycled from an older Disney movie. How about, instead of uh, turning her mother into a bear, how about if uh, Merida conjured up Mordu herself, and then for the first time she has to accept the consequences of her actions? The bear Mordu is a sort of inversion of Merida. And that would actually bring the Macbeth story uh, um, back, where Merida learns that wishing to change one's fate without regard for anybody else is selfish and cruel and can uh, lead to great disaster. If she had conjured more do, she would have been forced to see a, um, a villainous version of herself. And therefore, she would need her mother's help and need to adopt her mother's point of view to a certain extent in order to defeat Mordu. Then we could see a, the two of them using their various skills. Maybe Merida could hunt down Mordu uh, using her excellent archery skills, her tracking skills, her ability to make uh, traps to, to catch wild game. Her climbing skills uh, could have um, come into, uh, uh, in, into it in any case. Eleanor could be uh, could be amazed by how handily she defeats the bear um, in bear form. Then, somehow through some sort of magic, maybe she uh, the bear could have turned back into a human, then allowing Eleanor to speak to it. Um, this would allow both of them to use their skills. It would show Merida uh, the error of her ways, show Eleanor uh, uh, that Eleanor what she's, knows what she's talking about. If the two of them had to fought, fight Mardu together, then they would gain a mutual respect for each other, which is what their internal conflict was in the first third of the movie. Uh, Eleanor could respect uh, Merida's bravery and her cunning, and um, Merida could grow to respect her mother's grace, poise, and her ability to handle men through her speaking abilities. What I am mainly arguing is that I think that this story could have been a great subversion of Macbeth or and a subversion of a lot of fairy tales if they simply committed to making the story um, making the climax, rather, of, the, uh, of Brave hinge upon using both Eleanor and her daughter's skills to defeat Mordu. Another movie that I sadly have similar problems with is, of course, Hocus Pocus 2. Now, there will be some spoiler alerts, uh, so you have been warned. Um... For those of you who haven't seen the first movie, go ahead and see it. It is a classic. It is the most a wonderful, campy movie about witches. Um, specifically, three witches calling themselves the Sanderson sisters who 
lived in Salem, Massachusetts during the uh, 17th century and were executed as part of the witch trials. But unlike most of the uh, women in that trial, they were actually guilty of witchcraft. But they rise again from the dead in, in 1993 uh, to terrorize modern day Salem. Well, modern for when the film was released. In the sequel, in the original, they are defeated by uh, a bunch of teenagers who have no magical abilities. In the sequel, they are defeated by three girls who come to discover that they are, in fact, uh, magic. But it was through their struggles to, um, to survive the Sanderson sisters that they discovered their magical powers in the first place. On paper... That sounds like a great story, much more action-packed than the uh, the first, because now the Sanderson sisters are more evenly uh, matched and less, uh, and they are not as comically taken down when their adversaries actually have magic at their disposal. The problem is the execution. At the beginning, we see a flashback to Winifred Sanderson's sister. Uh, at the beginning of the film, we see a flashback to the Sanderson sisters' childhood. Winifred Sanderson, who uh, the older version is played by Bette Midler, um, was apparently an oddball, hated bad by the town, so she was bad-tempered, had bad luck with men, um, and had to flee from her home. They then encounter a witch in the forest who... Um, hands them a spell book and um, gives them some guidance and warns them never to use a particular spell that uh, supposedly summons ultimate power. We then cut, cut forward to modern-day Salem again, uh, 30 years after their appearance in 1993, uh, where the Sanderson sisters are loved and hated th at the same time. They are uh, worship for their um, awesome spell casting, but they are feared, of course, because they still want to uh, uh, eat children. <laughs> um, and this, the subsequent story of the movie is how uh, the Sanderson sisters attempt to um, regain their powers, take their revenge on the descendant of uh, the man who terrorized them in their childhood in Salem. And they are subsequently defeated by a new crop of witches who uh, discover that they are stronger, both morally and um, in terms of uh, magic. And these young girls become the heroes. The film touches on many important contemporary issues, such as discrimination, sexism, patriarchy, and again, the theme of women sharing knowledge and power together. But the film never commits to it. And that's a real shame, because if this movie was made by women for women, it is a wonderful vehicle to do just that. Many modern stories about witchcraft um, are a chance to subvert the old stereotypes about women and about um, um, uh, the fears of female empowerment. Um, I mean, in Macbeth, uh, women were um, almost entirely uh, thought of as domestic creatures. 
Um, and a story of witches is a good way of uh, uh, telling uh, stories of female empowerment in a fantasy setting. But I feel that Disney um, chose profit over telling a decent story. They didn't want to educate. They didn't want to uh, make art. They just wanted to sell toys. And they didn't want to offend Wiccans, so they um, tried to um, uh, put in some good witches to uh, make it clear that they weren't trying to insult Wiccan culture. But they also didn't want to make uh, Winifred the bad guy because she sells toys. So they lowered the stakes of the story. The Sanderson sisters do nothing that's really evil, um, even um, judged against the standards of the previous movie. Um, in the previous movie, um, if they were not stopped, the Sanderson sisters were going to uh, suck the life force of all the children in Salem. In this movie, one guy might be killed but only because he's descended from one of their enemies. Um, and most of the movie, they don't even seem to know where he is. I think this film could have been much more um, memorable and enjoyable if they had raised the stakes, committed to the ideas they bring up, and rounded out the story arcs. So here are my notes. First off, from the beginning... Like I said, the first time we see the, the uh, Sanderson sisters, it is a flashback. We see them as teenagers, and they meet a, uh, a beautiful witch in the woods, played by Hannah Waddingham. Um, she uh, tells them that they're special and, and uh, hands them their spell book and tells them that they are powerful, but um, warns them not to use a particular spell for ultimate power. And that is her only function in the plot. Um, they neither establish her as the good witch, whose teachings uh, they went astray from because they were sucking the life force of children, or another bad witch. In which case, it's strange that they didn't just eat the that she didn't just eat the Sanderson sisters in the first place. Personally, I think it would have been neat to have her be a bad witch and have young Winnie destroy her. This would foreshadow what happens to Winnie at the end of the movie when she is destroyed by the young witch, um, Becca, played by, um, by Whitney Peake. So that would be my first change. It would establish uh, um, where the Sanderson sisters got their, uh, their wickedness from. Was it through bad teaching from a bad witch or was it because um, they ignored the the teachings of a good witch in addition they they set up the juicy theme of male oppression and patriarchy by establishing mr task uh, mr trask um, and whose descendants um, um, the Sanderson sisters swear revenge against in the 21st century. Um, Tony Hale plays both Reverend Tra uh, uh, 
Reverend Trask from the uh, 17th century and Jeffrey Trask, the mayor of Salem in modern day Salem. Um, he's established as uh, being small minded, bigoted, sexist, and uh, um, and very afraid of uh, female power. Um, and this is why the Sanderson sisters swear revenge. But then we never see him again. They barely take any revenge on him in Salem. And when uh, they, they meet him again, his descendant, played again by Tony Hale, doesn't at all seem to be like his ancestor. He seems like a rather goofy guy who spends the whole uh, movie on his quest to find a candy apple. Um, it's possible that he has some uh, some feelings of sexism, but they're never demonstrated through the uh, film. He seems to be just a well-meaning doofus. Um, that's not to say that sexism is absent from modern-day Salem. There are bullies who uh, uh, pick on the heroes, uh, calling them witches and calling them odd, but they don't know what they're doing. They don't realize that that's what they're doing. Which is a wonderful idea that a lot of uh, discrimination and a lot of, of uh, sexism comes out not through uh, deliberate uh, um, uh, deliberate oppression or uh, or abuse, but through through casual abuse. This is a good theme to uh, to call people out on in order to try and make society more egalitarian. But aside from one throwaway line, it's not really explored, and it has absolutely no bearing on the plot, so it is utterly forgettable. This is why I would either A, make Trask a sexist, and have him learn his lesson by being punished by the, uh, by the witches, um, or, or saved by the, uh, by the good witches at the end of the movie, or make him not at all a sexist, and then have um, him be kidnapped by the Sanderson sisters and have them realize the error of their ways. To realize that Salem has changed and they don't need to hold on to the rage that they've been holding on for 300 years. This would take the story and show the tragic consequences, but at the same time you would get a redemption arc for Winnie and the other Sanderson sisters. At the very least, I think Trask should have been uh, kidnapped because it would raise the stakes uh, for um, his daughter, or Cassie Trask, played by Lila Buckingham, who spends most of the movie just at a party at her father's house and barely um, is a character through the course of the movie. Um, she she seems to be wrestling with the um, with the decision to be. Uh, the popular girl at school or to stay with her friends and be a witchy outcast she makes the choice near the ends to join with her friends but she does but she barely contributes anything to their group um she might as well just have stayed with the popular clique if she was in some ways instrumental in saving her father um um that would have given a more successful arc it would cement her bond to her sisters and um, and show that she supports them. 
It also would give some more justification for her character and Trask, but they don't really do either. And the the result is that these that Trask becomes a um, memorable punchline, and Cassie becomes an utterly forgettable character. She just rounds out the trio. I think it also would have been a good um, use of the film if they had made more about the brief plot cul-de-sac um, where Sarah uh, finally complains to Winnie about um, how sh- uh, Winnie treats her. Um, viewers who saw the first movie knows that um, uh, Sarah Sanderson uh, had an affair with uh, Winifred's former uh, love in- interest, Billy Butcherson, and that caused some friction. Um, in addition, she's portrayed for most of the movie as the uh, uh, the airhead who dances around, repeats uh, things that uh, Winnie says, sings little songs, um, and is not taken and is taken even less seriously than Mary. Um, but in Hocus Pocus 2, there is one line where she challenges Winnie. I wish that this had been a major plot point. First of all, early in the movie, there was a, um, there was a conflict be- between Cassie Trask and her, um, her friends, where again, she is trying to decide between being the popular girl and, and staying with the popular clique, or joining her new friends and becoming a bit of an outcast, but a outcast with friends. Another good thing that teenage uh, girls need to learn is to decide who their real friends are. So this movie could have fulfilled a, a wonderful and important function by making more of this conflict. Seeing it mirrored in the Sanderson sisters, the characters that we care the most about, would have been a good way to emphasize this. Have Sarah um, call out Winnie for her abuse. Um, Have Sarah become the main uh, villain, even. Have her break rank and try to do the, uh, the ultimate power spell herself. Have her try to enslave Billy and the boys. After all, in the previous movie, she was able to use her voice to hypnotize and uh, uh, call forth young uh, children so that the witches could drain their life force. This would be a wonderful conflict where Sarah shows that she is just as strong as Winnie. Winnie realizes she's been taking her for granted, just like Cassie realized that she's been taking her friends for granted, and they realize they've been taking her for granted. If they were to do this, then Winnie could have a a redemption arc, which I knew from the beginning that if they uh, did a sequel, because Winifred is by far the most popular of the Sanderson sisters, they'd probably uh, do a redemption arc for her so that we could root for her without thinking about the fact that she is by far the most villainous of the three. So if Sarah became the bad guy... um, and broke ranks and decided to become the most powerful witch to gain her sister's respect, Winnie could help the, the new crop of witches just like uh, uh, Hannah Waddington did with, um, with her at the beginning of the film. Um, 
and then the four of them together would bring Sarah back to the uh, to the good side, and they would um, all work together and form a, a, a much bigger coven of old and young witches. Then, if um, I also you notice I added the uh, the plot point of Sarah using her voice to enslave the men. Um, Sarah, one aspect of Sarah's uh, personality is she's sort of the femme fatale of the, of the group. She um, is definitely more flirtatious, and men immediately gravitate towards her. So having women save those men from, their, uh, um, from Sarah's hypnotic trance would also give them a chance to uh, realize the error of their ways and to apologize for the way they treated the Sandersons, and all women through um, the course of the film, thus establishing a, posi a positive message for the men in the audience. Don't discriminate against women. Don't treat women as objects, because then um, they might do the same to you. But none of these themes are fully developed. They are flirted with, much like Sarah does, but they are not committed. And thus the movie works as a piece of campy comedy, but it doesn't go uh, far enough with um, trying to make any kind of statement. There's no co uh, cohesion them uh, thematically. There's no real development of the characters. And aside from Whitney Pete, uh, Peake, who plays Becca, none of the other heroes really matter. The best adaptations aren't afraid to challenge our expectations and to take characters in a new direction. Shakespeare did this when he took um, the old Scottish chronicles and, um, and took the, turned them into the story of Macbeth. Now, I don't expect a, a Disney movie to be Shakespearean in quality by any means, but what Macbeth showed, and I'm sure Disney is interested in, in this at least a little bit, is that they sh Macbeth showed you could take an old story and be compelling, thought-provoking, and popular at the same time. And I wish more Disney projects would do this, because it seems like they're, they're playing it safe too much these days. And the last time, uh, and the last thing you want on Halloween is to watch entertainment that is way too safe. Happy Halloween, everybody.